Bible says, but now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place so that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. For we are slaves. Yet in our bondage our God has not abandoned us, but he has extended favor to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us reviving, to erect the house of our God, to restore its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that we can rest on you, we can sing to you, uh, we can trust you, and through Christ uh, we can have confidence that we will fly to you someday and that we will be at peace and there will be no more tears. If I just pray that you would uh, grant us your wisdom today as we look into the scriptures. Father, I just uh, know it's nothing that I can say in my own strength that's important. But may your Holy Spirit speak through your word and the areas in our life that do not match what your scriptures say. Father, I pray that we would all change. I pray that I would change. We pray that we would not leave this place the same, that we would take this moment seriously. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. There are many moments in life where we celebrate. There are moments in life in which we express sorrow. There are moments of joy, pain, victory, loss. And these moments make up our, our life. You know, on the tombstone, you have the date of birth, and then you'll eventually... I have a, a date of the, the death. And then there's a dash in the middle. And I've heard people say this, that that dash is all that really represents our life, but it's made up of many, many moments, moments of decision, and hopefully the moment of salvation where we've trusted our life, uh, we've given our life to Christ. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So we trust in him. So we all must have that moment. And so today we want to look at this passage of scripture, and this is a prayer from Ezra. Just a little bit of the history here. You know that the nation of Israel, uh, they had a up and down history. They had rebelled at many times. God had blessed them in so many different ways. This is the nation of Abraham, where God gave him a great nation. And then we know about uh, Moses and how the, the people were held captivity in Egypt and God led them out, miracle after miracle, moments of great grace where he showed them. And so the, then they would uh, worship God, but there were times that they would begin worshiping the gods of other nations. The covenant with Abraham was, I'll bless you if you are, and you are to be a blessing to other nations. But many times, instead of blessing them with the truth about the one true God, they began worshiping the idols. The, the pagan gods. And so God would, would get their attention. He would give them grace for many years sometimes. He would send prophets like he sent Jeremiah to warn them that even though they had this great powerful temple, that one day it would be destroyed if they did not repent. Jeremiah told them, he said, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let him that glories glory in this, that he knows me, 
that he understands that I am uh, the God of loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in all the earth. In these I delight, says the Lord. The idea was that they were trusting in their wisdom. They were a very smart country uh, as far as politically. They, they were, uh, you know, Solomon had set the, the path for this. Solomon had hundreds of wives, bless his heart. He had hundreds of wives. And, and, and why did he do that? Well, politically, it was fairly smart. You know, he had these small villages or tribes, and they had what they called kings, and, and they were kings, and there were hundreds of them. And so what Solomon would do, he would go, and he would uh, pick uh, the baby girl, the daughter of those kings, and bring, bring, him home, bring her home to his place. And then what would he do? Well, he had the, the, the king's daughters, hundreds of them, and so those kings were not going to attack him because they, they didn't want to harm their daughter. So politically, it was wise. Spiritually, it was dumb. Because what does it say that those wives did? It turned Solomon's heart against the Lord and idolatry came into the country and then the people began to worship these other gods. You know, they had this great temple they began to worship other gods. And so Jeremiah was warning them they needed to repent. And so God would wait. He would wait, hoping that they would repent. But they didn't. So about 606 B.C., the Babylonians began entering the country and began carrying some of their folks away into captivity until eventually in about 586 B.C., the, the temple was defeated and uh, destroyed and the people carried away and all the riches that were there they had great riches in the country see they had great political wisdom they had great they thought they had a great military they thought but you can't fight your way out of judgment of sin they thought they uh, all this wealth that they had you know you can't buy your way out of forgiveness the, the, the result of sin either and so you can't buy forgiveness so so they struggled but eventually they were all carried away and they were defeated. But God gave them moments of grace. That's what Ezra's talking about here. So 586, they were defeated. Then uh, if you fast forward a, a few years, then the Persians would defeat the Babylonians. And the Persians allowed a group to return to uh, Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. The, the temple was, uh, in 536, they began rebuilding the temple. It was eventually completed in 515 B.C., and the, the temple was there, uh, but the acts of worship, they had reinstated sacrificial worship, but they still were not, their heart wasn't exactly where it needed to be. So many years later, after it was rebuilt, the temple, 57 years later to be exact from what I'm told, Ezra is allowed to return, and he's coming to restore worship. He's coming to, to help the, the country uh, spiritually. And so he, he arrives and he learns something that breaks his heart. He is told that the people have begun marrying once again the wives of other nations, the daughters of other nations, the sons of other nations. Now, the, the issue here is not that these were uh, wives and, and husbands from, from other ethnic groups. That's not the issue. The issue was that they were told not to do that because they were told, just as it happened to Solomon, 
that when they did that, their heart would be turned against God. We know that for a marriage to survive, <laughs> it must be based on Christ. I always, when I do premarital counseling, I always talk about you have a husband, you have a wife, and then you have God. And then the husband and wife, the closer they get to God, what happens? The closer they get to each other. But if the husband and wife have other idols, other things that they're using to find their peace and, and their identity, there will always be a problem. They're going different directions. And even if one is trying to go toward God, the other will be going away, and it's not going to work. And so that's what had happened here. They had experienced the devastation of turning their hearts away from God and worshiping other idols. And now Ezra hears they've done it again. And it says he sat down astonished. He was stunned that they were going down that same terrible path again. It says he even ripped his clothes. He pulled hair out of his head. Now, if I did that, it wouldn't take me too long. But anyway, he pulled hair out of his head. He pulled hair out of his beard. And he was just devastated. And then he led in a prayer of confession. And verses 8 and 9 that we just read are part of that confession. So I want us to look at some of the truths that we find here in this passage. The first truth is that God provides a moment of grace. Isn't that great? Look here at the scripture. It says, but now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant. That's Ezra 9, 8. Now for a brief moment, grace. Now what is grace? We hear the terms great and mercy a lot. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. And grace is when we get what we don't deserve. I've heard it explained like this. It'd be like if a child that uh, does something wrong and they come home from school and the mother finds out about it. And this happened to me a, a few times, believe it or not. Uh, when I was in the first grade, the first time this happened more than once, um, I would get in trouble and I, I'd come home and I, my mother would know about it and she'd say, wait till your father gets home. So she'd send me to the room. Those were terrible times. I'd sit in my room waiting for my dad to come home. And then the Dodge Dart would drive up. And I would hear my dad get out of the car. I'd hear him come in. I'd hear him talk to my mother. And then I'd hear him coming down the hall. I'd, and then he would walk in. And I would immediately start the speech I'd been practicing. Daddy, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I won't do it again. Now, mercy is if instead of punishing me, my dad says, okay, I won't punish you. That's mercy. I want you to know I don't think that ever happened. But anyway, um, that would have been mercy. Okay. I'm glad he disciplined me because I, I needed it. I really needed it. Uh, so, anyway, so, so mercy would have been if he'd said, I'm not going to punish you. Grace would have been if he said, I'll tell you what. Why don't we go get some ice cream? What's that? That's getting something I don't deserve. The mercy is not getting what I deserve. The grace is getting what I don't deserve. And that's our God. We trust in Christ. 
We don't get what we deserve. We, we deserve to die and go to hell and be separated from God forever. But because of his mercy, he loves us so much, he provided his only son, Jesus, to die in our place. What a savior. What a moment. And in grace is when he gives us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve eternal life, but he gives it to us. We don't deserve a full life here. We don't deserve pardon for, for what we've done on this earth. The blessings, I, I tell you what, I, I married way over my head. I, I got a wife that I don't deserve. It's grace after grace after grace. He gives us a moment of grace. He offers it to us, but we have to, have, we have to make a decision, don't we? He doesn't make us love him. He doesn't make us accept his forgiveness. He just gives us a moment of grace. And we have to decide what we're going to do. There was moment of grace, moment of grace, moment of grace, and many, many moments of grace for the nation of Israel. Sometimes they turned to him, and some, sometimes they did. Just read the book of Judges. That's what the judges are. The judges are the ones that would lead them back, and they would be back in a right relationship with God. But then they, they faded away and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, the Bible says. But he gave them moments of grace. He's given the United States moments of grace. He's given us the opportunity to return to him. I pray that we will. I pray that it will be a revival. And it's exciting to hear some of the things that are happening in, in certain places. The Asbury uh, College uh, renewal and revival that the services they have. I watch some of that. It's exciting to see worship going on and on and on. People get excited about the Lord. God is still alive. He's working in other countries. I, I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to go to different countries. And, and God is moving. You see, see people are being saved. And, and there's a great movement of God in this world. Not, we don't see it as much in the United States, but God is still here. There's moments of grace for us to return to Him. And individually, you know, the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. Individually, we must decide if we're going to repent of the sin, of the idols that we've been worshiping, to return to him. So God provides us a moment of grace because love flows from his heart. That's his first inclination. His inclination is not to, to, to judge you or to punish you. He wants you to be restored to him. So God provides us a moment of grace. Verse 8 also says that, and to give us a peg in his holy place. He provides us a moment of grace, and then he gives us a holy place. What does that mean where it says there, and he gives us a peg in his holy place? A peg in his holy place. I, I really enjoyed the Sunday school class uh, that I just attended. And on the wall, I noticed some nails in the wall. Uh, what do you do with nails? Well, you hang something there, right? Back in this day, they didn't have cupboards, or they didn't have uh, chiffros, as we say, or closets. Uh, they just had nails on the wall. The King James uses that term, that, that, that they were nail in the wall here in the, the New American Standard, and he gives us a peg in his holy place. The idea is like where God is in the presence of God, he puts a peg there where we could be placed. My wife tells me this all the time. There's a place for everything, and everything should be in its place, right? Now, my wife has been staying over with my father-in-law over in Babynet, Alabama, three or four nights a week, and uh, he, he fell and broke his hip, so she's spending the night uh, taking turns uh, with her brother. Her brother stays a few nights, and then she'll stay a few nights. 
But about an hour before she comes home, I get terrified. Because I have to go in the kitchen and make sure everything is in its place. Because she'll come in and she'll say, what are my scissors doing on the kitchen table? They're supposed to be in the drawer, right? And so everything has a place. If it's not in its place, it's really lost. It's hard to find it. And so the great thing is you and I, we are all lost in our sin. For I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he has a peg for us. He has a place for us. that he's, We can be found. And we're safe as long as we're on that peg, as long as we're with him. He's got a place for you. And there's... And it just takes a moment to repent of your sin and be back into your place. You are found. <laughs> but you can't be found if, if you've never been lost. <laughs> you don't really know what that's about, but we have a place. So God provides a moment of grace for us, and he gives us a place, a safe position. So God provides a moment of, of grace, gives us a safe, holy place, and then God brightens our eyes because it says there in verse 8, so that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. One thing that I really enjoy every week is going to the Mission of Hope over in Wilmer. I preach there on Wednesday mornings at 7 o'clock. I've been doing that just over two years now, and it has been a blessing to me. I, I receive so much more from speaking there than, I, than I'm sure that I could ever give to them. And so, but one thing that I've noticed is the change in, in those guys over a 12-week period. It's a 12-week program. Now, they can stay a little longer. They have different programs, what they call the step-up program. But it's, it's basically a 12-week program. And uh, I see when they're there the first day or two, I look into their eyes, and some of them are defeated. Some of them are very angry because they're court-ordered there, and they, that was their last hope. If they didn't want to go to jail, they had to go there. So some of them aren't very happy about being there. And so I look in their eyes. And then also I get every week I get uh, an a email, and it has a picture of the guys that are in the program, just so I'll kind of know who's in the program and I can learn names. And so, by the way, uh, Richard and Benjamin, right? Is your name Richard? Did I forget your name? What's your name? Oh, see, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it. I couldn't even do one. Okay, but he's Benjamin, right? Okay, I got Benjamin. Oh, five, I'm batting 500. That's not bad. So anyway, sorry, Craig. Sorry, Craig. But anyway, uh, so, so, but I, so I get this list. And I've got pictures, and, and it's their intake picture. It's when they were admitted to the program. And again, you see their eyes. Some of them look dazed probably still under the influence of something. And, but it's so great now to go and to meet some of them. And they're just filled with joy, the joy of the Lord. They found Jesus, and they're growing in their faith, and, and their eyes are brightened. God brightens our eyes. He makes it clear for us. We could be in spiritual blindness when we don't follow him and we're being disobedient, but when we repent of our sin and we come to him, that moment of grace brightens 
our eyes. That's why I love being here. Y'all have a good time at First Baptist Lucille. I mean, y'all, I, I really have enjoyed being here. I, I love getting picked on. I, I don't like it. I, I love it. I mean, we enjoyed being with the men's Sunday school class. I mean, we have the joy of the Lord. That's the way it should be, joy. Why? Because we understand that God loves us, and, and we've all fallen short at times, but, but, but with Christ we measure up, and he will brighten our eyes. And you may come this morning, and, and, and a terrible, uh, heavy burden is on your heart. But God can brighten your eyes. He's giving you a moment of grace. He's helping you. You remember Paul was complaining about that thorn in the flesh that he had. We don't know what it was, but something that was, was really causing him a lot of discomfort and pain. And, and, and he prayed that God would remove it. But what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul's eyes continued to be brightened. <laughs> he continued to see God's plan for his life. And he continued to share the gospel and plant churches. So God used him. So God provides a moment of grace. He gives us a holy place. He brightens our eyes. And then verse 9, it says that he continues to love us regardless of our circumstances. It says there that for we are slaves, verse 9, yet in our bondage our God has not abandoned us, but has extended favor to us in the sight of the kings of Persia. Because again, Persia then defeated the Babylonians, and then Persia then allowed them to begin to return. And it's amazing that the ones that had defeated them and that they were really ruling over them had a soft place in their heart and allowed them to go back and rebuild the temple, and eventually they would be allowed to go back and rebuild the wall. It's just amazing. It says that he continues to love us regardless of our circumstances, that they were in bondage, but God has not abandoned us, it says there in verse 9. God has not abandoned us. You know, I, I heard a quote last week, and I love it, by Tony Evans. He said, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Isn't that good? Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. And God is. He promises to be with us. So I don't know what you're going through this morning, but God is with you. He, he, the Holy Spirit is with us. He said that. He promised that. He tells the truth every time. It's not a half-truth. Pastor Brandon Lodd, who's the pastor at Wade Baptist Church, uh, continue to pray for him. Uh, he's dealing with leukemia and had a stem cell transplant out in Houston. And it seems to be doing better. The stem cell transplant seems to be working. But he's been, since November, going through this treatment. And uh, he's going to probably be out there for a few more months. And so you pray for him. But I was talking to him before he left about, you know, how he's going through this challenge of cancer. And he's only 32. And uh, he has young children. And he has to, had to be away from them for a long time. And. So, he, But he was talking about it, but he had incredible faith, and he said something I had never heard before. You might have heard this, but I hadn't. He said, you know, God never has an aha moment. Now, do you know what an aha moment is? That's when you go, oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, that's where I put my keys. <laughs> I had one of those this morning. Oh, that's where my keys are. No, God doesn't have those kind of moments. Nothing surprises him. He knows everything that has happened, everything that is happening, everything that will happen. No aha moments with God. Nothing catches him by surprise. 
And so he's promised us that he's with us, that he has a plan, that all things work together for good to, to those that are called according to his purposes, that love him and are called according to his purposes. He has a plan. And so God stays with us. Yes, he gives us moments of grace. He gives us a holy place. He brightens our eyes, but he stays with us. And that's the truth. And that's what we need is to trust in him. And then last of, of verse 9, it says here that, why? Well, to give us reviving, to, to erect the house of our God, to restore its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. God leads us to restoration. He wants to restore us. And we all fail. We all fail. But God wants to restore us. Now, he may discipline us, but it's for a purpose. Things happen, and, and we don't understand, but God's ways aren't our ways, and, and, and we can learn from any situation we're in. James chapter 1 tells us, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials and tribulations. How can we do that? Well, joy is knowing no matter what happens, we still have salvation in the Lord. We still have Jesus. We can have joy. He will never leave us or forsake us, the Bible says. God leads us to restoration. He wants us to be in a right relationship. His first inclination is to love, not to punish. He wants us to be in a right relationship with him. So God provides us a moment of grace. He gives us a, a holy place. He, he brightens our eyes. He stays with us. He leads us to restoration. Many times in the Bible, we, we see moments of grace. Jesus came. What a moment of grace that was. Because in the beginning, God created this perfect world. He had no problems with it. Uh, but then we decided, Adam and Eve decided, but you could say we decided, that we knew more than God. And they sinned. Now they had a problem. God had a plan. He would send one, it says, that would crush the head of the serpent. So book after book, the Old Testament... Through all these ordeals uh, that we read about with, with Israel, he promised that a Messiah was coming that would be the perfect Lamb of God. We talked about the sacrificial system at the temple. What they would do is, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So what they would do is they would bring the best animal they had, lay it on the altar, confess their sins. It would be placed on the altar, and then it would be killed, blood would be shed, and the sins would be forgiven temporarily. Because on this earth, this sinful world, in the sinful world, there was no perfect animal, no perfect sacrifice, no perfect lamb. So God sent the perfect lamb, the son of God, the lamb of God. But he promised it. And we read about it in the Old Testament, book after book of the Old Testament. Shortly after Ezra's time there, uh, when he was restoring the group, there were 400 years where biblical inspiration went silent. We don't, we don't have, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's silent. But God had promised that a Messiah was coming. And then in Bethlehem, just as the prophet prophesied, a moment of grace the Savior is born. And then the Savior showed grace by walking among us. Uh, you remember he was at the well that time. In John chapter 4, we read about the woman coming to the well. She was embarrassed to come when the other ladies would come. 
So what did she do? She came later in the heat of the day, and she comes, and Jesus is there, and he wants something to drink, and she has this conversation. Why, why are you asking for me something to drink? He said, well, you ought to be asking me because I have living water. And they have this theological conversation. And uh, then he begins to tell her that I know about you. I know about your past. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with isn't your husband now. She was taken aback. And, but then God expressed love for her, told her about that living water, that he was the Messiah that came, and that he loved everyone, Samaritans, Jews, everyone. And she went away. She went away saying, I've met a man that knows everything about me. Let me tell you about this man. She had a moment of grace, and she didn't waste it. What about the woman that was called in adultery? They bring this woman, and they announce to Jesus they're trying to trick him into saying something he, you know, he shouldn't say. So they throw this woman down and say, this woman was called in the very act of adultery. What do you say? Well, Jesus just knelt down and wrote something in dirt. We don't know what he wrote. Some have said that he might have written their names and then the names of their girlfriends. I don't know. But anyway, but whatever, it was convicting to him. And then what did he say? He said, you without sin cast the first stone. And then they dropped their stones and they left one by one. Then it's just Jesus and this lady. Sure, she was very scared. But then Jesus said, who condemns you? See, they couldn't do anything legally now because there weren't any witnesses. The law said you had to have witnesses, and there weren't any witnesses there. He said, who condemns you? And she said, no one, Lord. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He forgave her. <laughs> what a moment of grace. But then I think about that moment on the cross. Jesus was there. In Luke twenty-two thirty-nine, it tells us, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged there with Jesus. Jesus was placed on the cross to die for the sins of the world. He would die, placed in a tomb, rise again so we have victory over life. God keeps his promises. And so, but while he was dying on the cross, there were two men there. One on his right, one on his left, and they were thieves. They were being crucified for the, the wrong that they had done. And it says in Luke 22, verse 39, that one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself in us. See, this one, he was more concerned about his freedom than he was his salvation, about forgiveness. He didn't want forgiveness. He wanted to get away with the crime. He was hateful, mean-spirited, and he had the Savior of the world right there. But then there was another there. Verse 40 says, but the other answered, rebuking the other thief, saying, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sense of condemnation and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong and he was saying the man said Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and he said to him truly I say to you today you shall be with me in paradise two men two men experiencing a moment of grace Jesus could have forgiven them both. He forgave one, but the other did not receive it. A wasted moment. So you have a moment today. In these next few minutes, is there something you need to repent of? 
Is God calling you to do something and you've been fighting it? You haven't been saying yes. Maybe God's calling you to the mission field. I don't know. Maybe God's calling some of you to be a, a minister, a pastor, uh, work with children's ministry. I, I don't know. Uh, God, God's convicted you of some sin, a relationship you need to give up, some habits you need to give up. It's a moment of grace, though. He's not here to beat you up about it. He wants to forgive you and to restore you. What a Savior we have. Let's pray.